0: The story you were about to hear is true. Attention, all true. She's alive. As the youngest of three children, I was always trying to get the attention of my older sisters. I think it's pretty natural that the youngest wants the older ones to like them all the time. At least that's the pattern I've seen in families that have three kids. I was always trying to figure out a way to bond with my sisters. And there was a pretty large age difference, so sometimes that could be challenging. And while they might play weebles with you or even... Star Wars or G.I. Joe to humor you you can tell that they're not really enjoying it So when a game came along that allowed me to bond with either one of my sisters Even if it was a game I wasn't crazy about I leapt on it One of those games was Breakout We got Breakout for the Atari 2600 like a lot of other people And I thought it was fun Although I have to admit I had a difficult time manipulating the controllers I just wasn't that good at it So Breakout usually stayed on the shelf Until one day My sister sat down to play it, and there was such joy on her face while playing it, and I realized, hmm, this is an opportunity for me to play video games with my sister, and Breakout quickly rose through the ranks of the games I had in my collection, not just because my sister was enjoying it, but because I wanted to be, first of all, as good at the game as her, and she was pretty good at it right away, and then I wanted to beat her, and I think that competition fueled my interest in the game and eventually we would have little mini tournaments between me and my other sister i mean when i call them tournaments it was me writing down everybody's score and bragging if i won and minimizing the whole thing when i lost still if it wasn't for my sister's interest in breakout or other games that would come along at the time i'm not sure how i would have felt about video games i imagine my feelings would have been pretty strong But it's nice to have people in your life that you could point to as drivers of your behavior. So on today's show, I'd like to talk about my sister's favorite Atari video game, Breakout. And I can confirm it is still her favorite Atari game. Because when I brought up that I was going to mod my Atari recently, she instantly started talking about Breakout again. I'll talk about the game itself, where it came from, its history, the people who made it. I'll talk about some of the ports, the gameplay, its sequels, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Breakout was an arcade game, first, published by Atari. It was, and I'm going to use this in air quotes, conceptualized by Nolan Bushnell and Steve Bristow, and was heavily influenced by the 1972 Atari hit, Pong. If we're going to talk a little bit about the evolution of Breakout, we should talk about Atari itself. Atari was an American video game developer and computer company that got its start in 1972. It was founded by Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney. They are probably mostly responsible for the rise of video game culture in America, maybe even the world. They lasted a good amount of time during their original run, from 72 to 84, when its assets were split, and that was because of the famous 1983 video game crash. And that was a time when the marketplace reached saturation, And people kind of turned against video games for one year or two. So a good 10-year run. During that time, they created a lot of great systems, computers, arcade games, and they also had a lot of competition. And Bushnell felt that if other people were going to create video games as well, you had to try to one-up them. And that meant taking the existing technology, games that you've created, original IP, and improving on them, making sequels, a concept that has caught on in many industries. So in 1972, when Pong became a huge hit, Bushnell and Atari decided they needed to make some sequels. There would be Super Pong, Quadra Pong, Ultra Pong, anything you could throw in front of a Pong, and they made it. Now, all these games would have very similar graphics, but they would introduce another gameplay feature. Maybe in Pong Doubles, you could have multiple players. Now, sometimes it was just the form factor of the machine that the Pong would be contained in. And one of my favorite Pongs that I've read about, but I've never seen in person, was Puppy Pong or Snoopy Pong. And that version of Pong would be in a Snoopy doghouse. And you would put them in doctor's offices where kids would get nervous and they could play Pong while they were in the waiting room. They would eventually have something called Dr. Pong as well, which would fill the same niche but for adults. I've never seen any of them in real life, but if you want to see them, do a search online and you will wish that you owned a Snoopy Pong of your own. From what I understand, they had to switch the name from Snoopy Pong to Puppy Pong because they didn't own the rights to Snoopy Pong. So they genericized it and it became Puppy Pong. I gotta admit, I enjoy saying Puppy Pong, which is probably why I'm saying Puppy Pong so much. Try it. Puppy Pong. Puppy Pong, it's good stuff. In 1976, a new version of Pong would hit the market. Now, this one was almost like a handball version of Pong, what we would call Breakout. And I'll talk a little bit more about the gameplay of Breakout, especially the arcade version. But it's a single-player variation of Pong, and you push the ball upward, and... It hits against a bunch of bricks on the ceiling, and then it comes right back down, and each time it hits a brick, it knocks the brick away. And the whole goal is to remove all the bricks. It would, of course, inspire a lot of other games to follow. Now, the roots of all of these games, the paddle and ball, can go all the way back to 1967 when Ralph Baer designed the Magnavox Odyssey game system, and this seems to be the origin of the paddle and ball game mechanic. People will often point to Pong and 1972, but that's because, while somebody else might have invented it, it was Atari and Nolan Bushnell who popularized it. We'll return after these messages. You're watching the most exciting game you will ever see on your TV set. Telstar by Coleco, with three different games. Telstar Tennis, with digital scoring, variable speeds. Telstar Hockey, each player controls a goalie plus a forward on the other side. Oops, a goal. And Telstar Singles Handball, a game you play yourself. Telstar Handball, Tennis, Hockey, all three at an exciting low price. For great family fun, hit your TV to a Telstar by Coleco. And now, back to the show. Now, the story of Breakout is fascinating, at least the making of it. And I've read lots of different articles that, from one point of view, conflict with the other. So if you are interested in the history of Breakout, I suggest you read up on Steve Wozniak and Breakout or Steve Jobs and Breakout. Everybody has a different story. I'm going to favor the Steve Wozniak version simply because it seems like a lot of people agree that it's right, or maybe because people like Steve Wozniak. I certainly do. Who doesn't like Steve Wozniak? So let me tell you first that Breakout is a discrete logic non-microprocessor game. Now, I'm not a computer scientist or an engineer, but the gameplay in the game actually needed to be built from different chips. So instead of writing a program or have a microprocessor, you needed to have a lot of different chips to do a lot of different things. I guess that's maybe an easier way to describe it. In 1973, Steve Jobs was working for the arcade company Atari, and he got an assignment to create a circuit board for this new video game, Breakout. And he was offered a bounty for using less chips on the circuit board, because in the long run, If you could cut down on the amount of chips, the final unit would be cheaper to produce. Jobs went to a very brilliant friend of his, a fellow Steve, Steve Wozniak. And Wozniak and Jobs didn't have a lot of time to work on this. And it appears Wozniak did most of the work. Now, Wozniak was told by Jobs that if they could get the number of chips on this board below 50, they would get a bounty of $700, and they could split that evenly. They had a couple of days to do it, not very long, and were able to get it down to 44, which, according to a lot of people, is pretty amazing. Unfortunately, Wozniak's design, according to people at Atari, was too difficult to manufacture and too compact and complicated to be used with Atari's method of production at that point. So the final design would come in at 100 chips, which is a shame. The real story behind this isn't the genius of Steve Wozniak or Steve Jobs or anyone at Atari, it's the relationship between Jobs and Wozniak. Because in all of the stories I've heard, that $700 comes up, but that was not the amount that was actually offered to Jobs. It was something akin to a $5,000 bonus. So while Wozniak got his $350, Jobs would collect the $5,000, minus whatever he gave Wozniak. From what I've read, when Wozniak found this out many, many years later, It really upset him because he thought he had a better relationship with him. He thought that if he was told that Jobs needed the money, he would have given it to him. He just didn't like that all these years their relationship seemed to have been built on this terrible lie, I guess. It's kind of sad, but I guess that is the nature of business. A little bit about Steve Wozniak. Stephen Gary Wozniak, often known as Woz, was born in 1950. He's an inventor, programmer, brilliant fella best known for his pioneering work in personal computers, working alongside of Apple co-founder Steve Jobs. In 1976, he single-handedly built the Apple I, which is the computer that launched Apple. And in 1977, he was the primary designer on the Apple II. According to Wozniak, Breakout influenced his development and design on the Apple II computer. According to Wozniak, A lot of features of the Apple II went in because I had designed Breakout for Atari. I had designed it in hardware. I wanted to write it in software now. So this meant color graphics, game paddle support, sound, and of course a clone of Breakout was written called Little Brickout, which is a software clone of the game that he had built in hardware earlier. According to Wozniak, basically... All the game features were put in just so I could show off the game I was familiar with, Breakout, at the Homebrew Computer Club. It was the most satisfying day of my life when I demonstrated Breakout totally written in BASIC. It seemed like a huge step for me. After designing hardware games, I knew that being able to program them in BASIC was going to change the world. He really is a visionary. we Will Return after these messages. Steve Wozniak owns two of the world's most impressive sports cars. What's your favorite, Steve? I prefer the Z. Is it that sleek styling? It's more than that. Is it the lush interior, the sophisticated onboard computers? That's part of it. Is it all the racing championships? Yeah. Oh, what is it about the Z car? It is awesome. Hey, Steve, you sell the apples, I'll sell the Z. That's so need. And now, back to the show. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the arcade version of Breakout. Breakout begins with eight rows of bricks. With each two rows a different color. The colors are yellow, orange, green, and red. You use the paddle controller to ricochet the ball against walls and into the bricks to eliminate them. If the paddle misses the ball, you lose a turn and you have three turns to try to clear two screens of bricks. Yellow bricks earn one point, green bricks earn three points, orange bricks earn five points, and the red bricks earn seven points. When you've broken through the red and hit the upper wall, the ceiling, the paddle shrinks to one-half its size to make things, of course, a lot more difficult. And all throughout this, the speed of the ball increases at specific intervals. After four hits, 12 hits, and then when it gets up to orange and red. The highest score that you can get for one player is 896 points. Once the second screen's cleared, the ball will continue to bounce and you could play around, but eventually you get kind of bored and you walk away. There are ways to get more points than that, but they involve a little gaming of the system. Basically, you start a two-player game, and then through some dance, you allow player one's game to be played by player two, and you could score 1,344 points that way you're probably wondering, is this game in color? I've played it and it's in color. The game is actually in black and white. It uses a black and white monitor, but the clever people use colored cellophane to place it over the bricks to make it appear like they're colored. So if you look at it from a different angle, if you're a little kid often, you can note this. Looking up, you would see bricks that were not the colored but are in fact black and white. The game allows for two player play. The cabinet designs that I've seen include upright the standard arcade that you would see, and of course the cocktail cabinet, where you could sit at a table and enjoy a Sprite or Coca-Cola while playing some Breakout. While people loved this game in the arcade, it really was the Atari 2600 version that I was most familiar with. This port was programmed by Brad Stewart. Stewart had been working on other games at Atari. Fun story about how Brad got to work on this. Brad and another developer, Ian Stewart, were both available to program Breakout for the 2600, and they decided to compete on the original version of Breakout to see who would program the Atari version, and Brad would win. His game was published in 1978 and works very similarly to the original Breakout, but there are a few differences. There were only six rows of bricks, and you're given five turns to clear the two walls instead of three. It also had the ability to have breakthrough versions of the game where you hit the ball and it would break through all the bricks and just go crazy. That was a fun variation. I think everyone owned Breakout who owned an Atari 2600. I think I own 12 or 13 copies now. I went on a bit of a game buying spree in the 90s. Here's a little bit of fun how to play Breakout from the Breakout manual itself. How to play Breakout. Smash, Pow, Crunch. A brick wall appears at the top of the screen, and your mission is to smash two walls off the playfield, one brick at a time. Use the controller to move the paddle across the bottom of the screen. With the paddle, hit the ball into the wall. Each time the ball hits a brick, the brick disappears and you score points. A player or team receives five balls per game. When you miss a ball with your paddle, the ball disappears from the screen. Press the red controller button to serve another ball until all five balls are played. When a team or player destroys the first brick wall, a second brick wall automatically appears on the screen. Continue to hit the bricks of this wall and score more points. The player or team who can destroy two walls scores the maximum 864 points and wins the game. Note, if both opponents destroy the two walls, the team who used the least number of balls wins. At the end of two team games, the playfield of both teams or players will flash on and off the screen. That way, the players can compare scores, begin a new game, and create a new brick wall by pressing the console reset button. Of course, a game like Breakout, as popular as it is, has been ported to many systems. Not only the 2600, but the Atari 5200, the Atari Video Pinball. Basically, if they can find a way, you will have Breakout on it. The game was so successful that, of course, this being Atari, they created a sequel, Super Breakout. This version we get released on 126 different machines. Now, this is similar to Breakout. The main difference between Super Breakout and Breakout, there's more advanced game types. I prefer the original Breakout, but Super Breakout's cool. You get some additional gameplay modes. One of my favorites is the doubles, where there are two, I guess, bats, I guess is what they are, the things that move back and forth and hit the ball. And you get two of them on the screen at the same time, and then two balls. And that's kind of fun, that sort of general mayhem that results from that. For Super Breakout, John Braden recorded a 7-inch record for Kid Stuff Records, which tells the story of Breakout. And it's kind of fun because they create this science fiction-y world, and you can find the Kid Stuff record for Super Breakout online. Just do a search on YouTube, and it'll show up. And the story involves NASA astronaut Captain John Stuart Chang who's coming back from a mission on a Titanium ore mine from Io to the space station New California, and he encounters this rainbow barrier, which is a force of nature, which seems to have no end, and he has these missiles that he can lob at the rainbow and bounce them off his shuttle to keep them alive, and by doing so, he can break through the force field. Naturally, it's very dramatic because his life support's dying, and he needs to win to get through this barrier and get home. It's really fun, worth checking out if you're a fan of Breakout or if you just love those kids' stuff records. It started out as a routine mission for the Space Shuttle Adventure. Its job was to haul 2 million ton loads of high-grade ore from the titanium mines of Io, Jupiter's first moon. The craft had almost arrived at its destination, New California, the Space Center orbiting Venus. Captain John Stuart Chang, the only human on board, was relieved to be nearing home since an asteroid shower had depleted his reserves of air and fuel. You could play Breakout online. They have it at the Internet Archive. Just do a search of Internet Archive and Breakout. You also might have it and not even know it. And if you have a system or a phone or anything else, odds are you can get a version of Breakout. So if you've never played it before, give it a shot on whatever you have. Maybe you have an old iPod, an old BlackBerry. You could play some Brick Breaker. I would say, though, that... If you can, do try to play it on some original hardware, be it an Atari 2600 or an arcade. I think you'll get a real appreciation for what they were able to do at the time. And it's amazing that a game that was made so long ago is still so much fun today. I know that next time I see my sister, and I think I'm going to be seeing her soon, I'm going to pull out the Atari and challenge her to a game. We'll see who's better now. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com retroist.com and twitter.com retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Hey, you're still here. Well... It's been a while since I released a podcast and I just wanted to thank everyone who keeps emailing me asking me to make new ones. I am still recording. I'm not always happy with the quality, so I wait. Hope you like this show. I have a couple others that are coming up soon. And if you have other suggestions, feel free to email me. I'm more than happy to chat with people. If you find me on Facebook, happy to talk there as well. Again, thanks for listening to the show. Talk to you soon. Wizard of Oz, or The Waz, or Waz, or The Second Steve. I wonder if he ever goes by Gary. This has been a Retroist production. Goodbye.